Hello and welcome to Adam and Eve on CJSR 88.5 FM in Edmonton and around the world on CJSR.com. My name is Rose Eva Forbes Jenkins and we have an almost full house from the Adam and Eve team here today. So I'll let my co-hosts introduce themselves. My name is Luis Fuentes. I'm Michelle Dang. And I'm Autumn Mornchuk. And we'll be your hosts for today's episode of Adam and Eve. Thank you so much for tuning in. Adam and Eve is Edmonton's only feminist news radio show. We're adamant on highlighting, discussing, and engaging with issues that affect women across Edmonton and around the world. For today's episode, we're talking about Mother's Day, which is right around the corner on Sunday, May 9th. First, we will be discussing the history of Mother's Day and sharing some fun facts with each other and you, the listener, as well as discussing our thoughts about this fascinating holiday. After that, you will hear an interview with Adam and Eve contributor Autumn Mornchuk and her moms, Janet Duffy and Deb Parstad, where they will discuss mother-daughter relationships, feminism, empowerment, and what it means to raise a feminist daughter. So stay tuned. The day to celebrate motherhood has multiple iterations and origins. This commemoration is highly interwoven with the development of culture and identity. The multiple expressions of motherhood have been celebrated ever since Neolithic cultures in Turkey, pre-Columbian cultures in Central and South America, North America, as well as now with modern religions and market. So I wanted to bring up this question to the folks of Adam and Eva, what Mother's Day means to you. Maybe a little bit unrelated, but uh, the first memory I have of Mother's Day is back when I was five years old, we planted tulips at the front of our house. Mother's Day, all of our tulips were gone. So I think someone just <laughs> came and stole our tulips for their mom. And you know what? That's all right. I guess that's, um, you got to do what you got to do for your mom. I think of how when I was a child, I would like make these silly like little things, these crafts in school. Or as I got older, like, and I would get like my allowance, I would spend my allowance on like these little, like very tacky, random, like little things I would find at the dollar store. And no matter what I bought or whatever I made, my mom would just appreciate it so much. And like, she still has those tacky little small things. So I feel like, you know, mothers in general, like need more than a day because of how, like what an amazing role and what mothers do so much work that's so unrecognized. But it's just like a small gesture of showing moms our thank you of like, yeah, doing so much. Also, another fun fact that I just remembered that I want to share is there's the David Attenborough has had his series on colors and it's about like different animal colors and stuff like that. And there's one about flamingos and it's like flamingos turn pink because of the food that they eat and they get the nutrients and they're like born white and they turn pink with that food. And when flamingos are mothers, it takes so much energy from their body that they go back to being white. And then it takes them a full year to recover and then to go back to being pink after that, which is like, I think a really good metaphor of like, the way that mothers literally like the color is drained out of them with the force of like being a mom. Um, when I think about Mother's Day, I think about kind of similar to you, Rosie, but like making things for my mom. Like, I know I've made like Christmas ornaments um, and these like picture frames that I decorated when I was like in the second grade. And my mom like still has that like on the fridge and stuff, which I always think is like so special, you know, just kind of like look back at all these like trinkety things that I've made. And then Mother's Day also uh, used to be not like a, a tough time, but an interesting time. When I was younger, I have two moms that are married to each other. And growing up in school, whenever it was like you make a gift for your mom, 
where I grew up was not necessarily the most uh, accepting environment. So I never knew if it was okay for me to also be making the gift like for my second mom or if I like, it was always just kind of this weird, like trying to figure out when I was a kid, like what was acceptable and what wasn't. Cause for a long time, my second mom was just like my aunt. Like I was like, we live with my aunt and I'm also going to make her a gift on mother's day. So yeah, mother's day is kind of a conflicting holiday for me. Yeah. And I'm kind of with the Rosiva as well of making things for my mom that case it will be like the challenge of making breakfast and dinner and like all this stuff my dad was horrible at that so I was the one <laughs> trying to step up the game like oh. yeah and I think it's interesting too when we look at the like history of Mother's Day it's really interesting that if you look at the Wikipedia article for Mother's Day like every country seems to have its own origin story as to how it came about and they're all on different days so when you look at for Mother's Day, the person who's credited for that is this woman called Anna Jarvis back in 1876 when she heard her mother recite a prayer after a Sunday school lesson. And then after her mother died in 1905, she wanted to like fulfill the dream of her mother. So yeah, she had a advertising background. And so by 1912 she'd quit her job in the industry and started the Mother's Day International Associations and then that's kind of when it got picked up by the president of the time Woodrow Wilson and that kind of seems to be the origin story for North America. It's kind of interesting how she had like an advertising background and now looking at what Mother's Day has kind of become. Yeah that's true and I sometimes think there's like a pressure I think over any kind of holiday I mean think about Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, Father's Day like about um is that idea of like if you should be buying your parents something or, or doing like an act of service or making them something. Like I know my mom, like she's always the person who's like against buying a gift. Like she would rather have like an act of service or like making something for you. But I think it's interesting how that like, I don't know, I feel like now Mother's Day, there's always kind of that question about what's the best way to kind of, you know, like what should you be giving your parents or your mom to show them that like you care about them? Yeah, another fact that I find interesting about Mother's Day is how it's also been a date for launching political or feminist causes. So in 1968, Coretta Scott King, who is the wife of Martin Luther King Jr., used Mother's Day to host a march in support of underprivileged women and children. And then in the 1970s, women's groups also used the holiday as a time to highlight the need for equal rights and access to childcare. Yeah, I think that's like super cool and really interesting and I mean I think it makes sense I think obviously women in general we've been fighting for you know equal rights for a long time but I think specifically mothers and the idea of like access to childcare. I think that that is an ongoing battle I think about how expensive daycare is and as well you know issues with mothers even being able to find like proper child care you know it kind of falls on the mom if you can't get child care you know let's say if, if nobody can go to work then it's like you're the one who has to you know take care of the kid and I think that that's like a really important issue that we still need to like work on in terms of having childcare. and I think that lots of times you know the work of mothers like that they talk about that like the unpaid labor that like women do kind of in the family unit you know and not just with childcare, but even like housework that's definitely another like important thing to recognize that a lot of like women and female caregivers go through and even legitimizing childcare work as well like those being kind of considered like secondary jobs or like kind of on the side jobs and not being treated as like proper labor bodies. So the reason I chose that intro was because I saw this paragraph like different kind of takes on mothers across the world. And it got me thinking like, what is the Mother's Day equivalent to local 
cultures in Colombia. And one celebration they had is just what they call Pachamama or Mother's Mother Earth. Another alternate observance of Mother's Day can be found in Ethiopia, where families gather each fall to sing songs and eat a large feast as part of Anthrost, a multi-day celebration honoring motherhood. And are there like specific traditions in Colombia for like Mother Earth? Like, would you say the traditions are kind of like around that? Colonization did the struggles there. So like we only have records of that and kind of like anthropological understandings of those eradicated cultures, right? But yeah, like the, ours is very religious based, very Catholic celebrations of, of motherhood, right? Like the Virgin Mary. Yeah, this might also be controversial, but like what always really bothered me as someone who like went to a Catholic school growing up is like the best thing you can do as a mother, as the Virgin Mary, is that like, what does she do? A, she's a mother. B, she's quiet. She doesn't do anything. C, she's also a virgin. So the best thing you can do as a woman is to be a mother and be quiet and do your job while somehow also being like pure and virginal. And that always like, yeah, made me very upset because I think like some iterations of like celebrating motherhood are like, oh, all the things that mothers do for us. And yes, mothers do a lot for us, which we should be grateful for. But also I think there should be a like that recognition of power. Like motherhood is so powerful and like not seeing it as a passive thing, but as a very strong, empowering act and I also think a lot about too about something I saw on Twitter. I follow a lot of like Indigenous women on Twitter and what one woman was saying is even like the ways that babies are born. When we picture like childbirth, we picture like the stirrups and the women in stirrups, but that's actually not the most conducive way for women to give birth, like for your body. It's not the best way for your body. It's just the best way for doctors to deliver a baby. And the best way to do it is usually like by home birth. And yeah, so this tweet by this Indigenous woman was like, this is one of the reasons why I chose to do childbirth at home. Another reason is because so many Indigenous children are apprehended in hospitals while they're born, that by doing it at home, I knew that my child would not get apprehended. That's like really great that you like with the, with the Virgin Mary stuff and everything like that. And just giving birth in general. I mean, I'm always like amazed, like we as women can grow a person. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's insane that like we have the power and the ability to do that. And I think it should be looked at more of like this incredible, awesome thing that you can do. And I think as well, like, I think being a mother is a very difficult job and there's a lot of judgment that gets placed on, you know, what it means to be a good mom or, or are you doing enough for your kids? And there's that whole thing of everything they do for you and that pressure to be like, if you're not giving hundred percent of yourself to your children all the time, then you're like being a bad mom. And I think too, a lot of time women are like questioned about like what they want to do with their own bodies, like by like the healthcare system or by doctors and stuff. And it's like, if you, you know, have gone through the motions and you set up a safe way to like give birth at home, I think that should be totally acceptable. But so many times women are like shamed for doing home birth or thinking that it's like being, I don't know, like backwards or behind the times or something like that. And I think it's like, I don't know, it's that whole like autonomy thing. Like it's your body, it's your child. You should be able to do, you know, what you've decided is best for your body at that time. You just heard our discussion regarding the history of Mother's Day. We hoped you found it intriguing and possibly learned something new. I know I did. Now, you'll hear an interview with Autumn Moranchuk and her parents, Janet Duffy and Deb Farstad, about mother-daughter relationships. 
Just a content warning that there is mention of sexual assault, as well as violence against queer folks within this interview. Today, I'm sitting down with my two moms. I'm lucky enough to not just have one, but two who have raised me to be a wonderful and strong person. And kind of in lieu of Mother's Day, we're going to sit down and have a conversation about womanhood and mother-daughter relationships. So I'll just get you guys to first just introduce yourselves. Tell me a little bit about yourselves and for the listeners. Hi, I'm Janet. I'm Autumn's mom, as she's already said. Then I go by she, her. Uh, I'm Deb, and I'm Autumn's other mom, and I go by she, her as well. Awesome. All right, so let's get going. So I'd like each of you to talk about a time when you felt empowered or when you were first introduced to the idea of feminism or female empowerment as a concept. Uh, Sure. I would say the first time I was introduced to it, I, I don't think I was aware, but we had career day when I was five years old. I was living in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland which is uh, quite small, and every girl in my class was going as a nurse with a white cape and a white hat. I don't know if they even wore capes at that time, but it looked pretty fancy to me, so I went home and I told my mom I wanted to be a nurse, and instead she said, no, Janet, you're going as a judge because women can be judges. They don't just have to be nurses, so she got me this big black cloak that I wore over top and this gavel and I remember being devastated (laughs) but the lesson now as I think about it was pretty large and I'm actually quite grateful that I didn't have to go as what every other girl was going as in the class. I think you would have looked cute as a tiny little judge. (laughs) (laughs) I was an angry judge. I didn't want to wear it. Um, for me, I, like, I don't have, I think I have the idea of the awareness of it either, but I think a time for me would have been when I went into the military when I was younger. I was uh, 17, and they came to our school to do recruitment, and I was interested right away, and so I went when I was 18, I went to basic training, and it was just a feeling of, like, being a strong person in that environment, and I think that it was just an empowering moment as a woman. Okay, so next question, what are some things that you knew you wanted to teach me as your daughter that you felt were valuable? Definitely independence, like the idea that you don't have to be reliant on somebody else to be a powerful or happy or just be a full person. And especially in our society for women, like the idea that you have to rely on typically a man to be the one to support you or be there for you or do the things for you just to make sure that that wasn't the feeling that you're strong enough and able and capable to do everything on your own. So that was definitely a big part for sure for me. Uh, I would say for me, I wanted you to joyfully go through life and I wanted you to not have any hangups about your body or hang-ups about sex. I I just wanted you to be proud of who you were and whatever that looked like. So the next question, uh, what are some things that you were scared about when it came to having a daughter growing up in the world that that we live in? 
oh easy yeah <laughs> uh, but easy easy um I think for me because I, I struggled with an eating disorder for a lot of my life I think body image was a real and I knew I was having giving birth to a girl that was my biggest fear I just wanted you to be able to be comfortable in your own skin and having your voice listened to that you would be heard by people in school people at your jobs your partners whatever that look like um yeah I think those things definitely resonate with me as well that you touched on and I think also just the worry of I would say especially as you were starting to go through school and getting into like junior high and senior high, just the worry of when you were starting to go out on your own to parties and the idea of, you know, um, sexual. Yeah, right. Sorry, that's hard. <laughs> Yeah, that is a hard idea. You know, that is hard. I think that's a, I think that is. I mean, I think that's unfortunately a real fear for mothers and their daughters and for women and, and teenage girls especially, which I think is definitely unfortunate. That's a reality that we're yeah. seeing that we have to be scared about in the first place. Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah, that would that would probably be the biggest one. Yeah. that I wanted to talk about is just um, I think that we have a pretty strong mother-daughter relationship you know with Mm -hmm. with each of us and I think we've worked hard to kind of cultivate that relationship especially Mm -hmm. as I get older and I'm going out on my own I just kind of wanted to talk about like what are some things that you guys think have been important in kind of building or maintaining a strong mother-daughter relationship over the years and what do you think kind of we should keep doing as as we kind of keep getting older and now we're kind of three adults you know as opposed to necessarily like parents and a child well I think that communication has always been the biggest key like we did a lot of things to facilitate open communication throughout your guys's life in all aspects like we've never wanted you to keep anything from us and even if it wasn't something that was something you want to hear as a parent necessarily but you just you always made sure that you felt comfortable to come to us with everything and anything and I think that that's always a thing that will develop a strong bond is when you have good communication and loving communication that you feel comfortable to come to us with anything. And I think that'll just continue on, you know, even though we may be apart in distance, we talk every day and talk twice a day or we talk. And I just think that's the stuff. And and even when it's not just like maybe shooting out um, a little text or a little meme or something to just, let you know that we're thinking of you all the time right like just because you're not at home doesn't mean that you're not still always in our thoughts right so I think that for me is key just to kind of jump on what Deb was saying I know that from the time you started in school we would say like tell us what was really one happy thing that happened to you today and one sad thing and that sort of carried on and evolved as you guys went through school by the time you hit junior high and high school, I think you told us about every class that you had, which is great. I think we really got to know what you liked and what you didn't. And I think we also respected that you had your own inner world and there were things that you didn't feel like telling us right away, but I think you stayed patient and didn't push mm-hmm. and um, allowed you to have your own autonomy. 
think I think it's building a really great base, and I think that's what we did. And I think both Deb and I have also been really open to you asking us questions, and I think we've both been pretty open about who we are too, which has been amazing. Like I think we've been building steadily to an adult friendship uh, your whole life. And, I mean, it doesn't hurt that you're a pretty amazing woman. Yeah, I have to agree with all those things. And I think I really appreciate how I knew that there was always an open line of communication. And I knew that I could always come to you guys with stuff. Um, I think that's really important. And it's like, I always remember, like, I knew, too, that if ever I was in trouble, I knew Mm -hmm. I could call you. And I knew that there wouldn't be judgment like at least not right away maybe we'd have a conversation you know down the line (laughs) as to why did this happen but I remember having to call you guys to come pick me up when I was scared about a situation and I knew that that was a safe thing to do and I think that really created a strong relationship I knew I could trust you guys I knew there wasn't Mm going to be you know where I think there's a lot of kids who are scared because they're worried about the repercussions you know or like the anger but I knew that I could always lean on you guys, which I think is something that's really important. And even into adulthood, I know that I can still mm-hmm. like lean on you guys or call you with a problem, even if it's just to talk out that problem, even if you can't really do anything about it. Yeah. Um, I think just knowing that I have support in whatever way that looks like is definitely something that has been like really important to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's true. That's very true. Yeah. Yeah. And then this last question is kind of just a little bit more specific to Deb, but I think it's important to talk about. Uh, Deb has been a bricklayer, both in red brick and refractory bricklaying for, I think, over 10 years. Oh, actually, it's... It was 20. Yeah, yeah, it's almost, no, it's, it's almost 15. I started in 2003. 15. So I guess it's, oh my goodness, it's 18. Oh my oh gosh. My God. 18, 18 years. <laughs> um, she's worked in a field that is pretty male-dominated, and I think as we're on a, a feminist radio show, it would be ridiculous if I didn't ask her about it. So I'd like to kind of take a sidebar just to ask her to maybe share the experience of what that is like, kind of being you know, the only person that looks like you in a job for that yeah. long and kind of your experiences with that and maybe how you deal with that on a day-to-day basis or any thoughts you'd like to share in general? Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, I think that it was hard starting off for sure. I, I think um, I had some really negative experiences, especially being a woman and also being gay. Um, I wasn't out at all in red brick because it didn't feel safe. Like, I worked with people that talked openly about gay bashing. I just had instances of being threatened. So I was never, I never felt safe at work. Uh, When I transferred into refractory, it was still difficult in some ways. Like, I've never worked with another female bricklayer. I know there's others out there. I think once I was in, I've been in that side, the trade a lot longer, I've been able to come out and, you know, I've been with the same company now for 10 years and everybody knows me and now it feels comfortable but there was a lot of having to prove yourself as a woman over and over because every time new people came in they would expect that you couldn't do the work just because you're a woman you know you always had to work harder than you know guys could slack off a little more but if you did then it was seen as you know like you couldn't do that and I think also you did I didn't want to being the only woman I didn't want to I definitely would push myself to the limits sometimes even when you couldn't do it just to make sure that it wasn't seen that a woman couldn't do it, right? So 
<clears throat> I think those were a lot of struggles, but now I've established myself in the field and I'm very comfortable. I'm openly like I'm out. Everybody knows about my family, my partner and and everything now. So it's been quite a journey, that's for sure. I'm happy to see more women are getting into the trades, not so much bricklaying, but it would be nice to have more women out there. So if anybody's interested, definitely. <laughs> it's a quick plug. Yeah, like. quick plug, head down to the union hall. We're always looking for members. So hook up for an apprenticeship. It is good. It's definitely, you know, they've come a long way in the trade, I would say. And I think that, I mean, it feels weird to say, but I would think about, you know, being a pioneer in a sense for women in the trade and it's brought awareness to uh, at least the people that I've worked with that, you know, women can do the job, right? So that feels good. And I do still love my job, which is nice, even though there's been some rocky road at times. <laughs> yeah, so I think it's it's been an interesting experience for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's important to um, highlight Deb's journey and what she does, because I've always found it a role model for myself. I mean, I got to spend... A lot of my childhood seeing Deb just going out there and kicking ass, you know, just kind of making her way and, and making a name for herself in a group of men that can not be nice most of the mm-hmm. time, especially for like the earlier years. Um, and I think for me, having a mom that was two moms that were strong and, you know, never didn't always have to do things that were conventionally feminine. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I think it was definitely important for me to have role models that were also doing things, you know, that were considered like masculine activities you know kind of showing that it didn't matter it doesn't matter what your gender is you should just do whatever you want to do you know and whatever like makes you happy or makes you feel proud I think that's definitely an important story to share Mm -hmm. so my last little thing to kind of end off since it is you know around mother's day time uh, and I would like to think that you guys raised a pretty feminist daughter Mm -hmm. um what would be your advice if I were to have a child you know how do you think it's what's some advice about raising a feminist daughter or empowering your daughter that you think is kind of important for the next generation well first thing that I'd like to say is that um you can choose to have a child (laughs) and I've always said this to you from the time you're little you do not need to have kids you can define yourself in lots of different ways but having a feminist daughter is uh if you do choose it's a really uh beautiful journey Mm -hmm. to grow one um (laughs) what would i say i'd say learn to say you're sorry give respect you're not just going to get respect that's to Mm. the mothers yes and pair all parents out there i would say just make sure that they know that they're of value and that other people are of value and mm. get them out uh, protesting something really early on. <laughs> That's always important. That's always important. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, find things, like show them what you're interested in and mm. um, what you're passionate about and be interested in what they're passionate about. Uh, I would say don't mask your emotion. Like, I think that it's important for kids to know that you have emotions and obviously, right, sometimes, I mean, I come from an era where my parents didn't want you to see, right, like they didn't want us to see them cry and I think that that's not reality, right? So to definitely not mask your emotion and to remember to have fun and take those moments, like you don't realize when the moment might pass. So 
just cherish every moment and make sure that you're there and they're aware that you're there and you're present for them. I think it's the biggest thing. This kind of comes to the the conclusion. I want to thank you guys for hanging out with me and kind of having mm-hmm. a chat. Are there any sort of final thoughts that you want to share or anything else you want to say before we kind of sign off here? Uh, just that I love you so much. Yeah. <laughs> and we're, I'm grateful that you're our daughter. Mm-hmm. Me too. I'm grateful to have you guys as my moms, uh, and I love you too, obviously. Uh, so thanks for hanging out with me today. Yeah, you bet. Okay, bye. Bye. You just heard an interview with Adam and Dave's contributor, Adam Warnchuk, and her moms, Janet Dunphy and Deb Barstad. We hope you enjoyed our discussion on Mother's Day this week. That brings us to the end of this week's episode of Adam and Eve, Edmonton's only feminist news program. We produce this week's show in the studios of CJSR 88.5 FM in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, on Treaty 6 territory. We recognize that colonialism is ongoing and violent. We encourage you to reflect on your own relationship further and ask what accountability would look like here in practice for yourself, the communities you are a part of, and the larger systems that shape our daily access and opportunities. Thanks to our contributors for this episode, Janet Duffy and Deb Farsa. Adam and Eve is a spoken word project of CGSR 88.5 FM in Edmonton, Alberta, and our journalism is funded by you, the listeners. For more information on our program and to send us any feedback, please contact us on our Facebook page under Adam and Eve. We're always looking for more volunteers to help out, so if you're interested in learning any aspect of radio production, just get in touch. And we wanted to give a shout out to all moms everywhere and have a wonderful Mother's Day on this Sunday, May 9th. Thank you very much for tuning in. I've been your host, Autumn Mornchuk. My name is Luis Fuentes. I'm Michelle Dang. And Rosie Forks Jenkins. Have an evening. evening.